This morning, we're going to continue in the, uh, the book of Hebrews. As, uh, as you know, Jeff has, has embarked on a, a study of the book of Hebrews. He's been in that uh, scripture for the last uh, couple, three weeks now. And uh, we're not going very far in terms of the actual verses, so we're going to still be in the, in the same verses where we were previously. That was our first reading today. But we're going to have a different emphasis. Uh, the last few weeks, Jeff had talked about uh, the, the three, the, the general, gener- generally speaking, the, the supremacy of Christ and the, and the threefold office that the, our Lord Jesus holds as, as the Christ. And then last week, he emphasized why the writer of the Hebrews uh, would want to highlight the supremacy of Christ over angels. And so uh, that, that's an interesting uh, 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 part of the, the book of Hebrews at that first chapter, uh, something that maybe we wouldn't really think about, but it was very important to his audience at the time. And so we're going to continue in, that, in that same, uh, those same verses, but my emphasis today is going to be on what the, what the Hebrew uh, writer thought was really important when that was to declare and to present Christ as king, as the promised king. And so, um, so we're, I'm going to break this down into really two parts today. We're going to, first of all, I'm going to try and unpack this one little short little verse that we're going to start out with, unpack what was behind that. What, why, why was that significance to this audience, this Hebrew readership uh, that, that the writer was writing to? And we're going to try and unpack that and really understand why, that, why the significance. And then we're going to ask ourselves, we're going to conclude really uh, looking at, at why that would be significant to us, especially in this day and age where we're not really uh, ruled by kings, uh, and why, why would that be important to us. So it's really two parts that we'll be covering today. And so going back to uh, our scripture reading in, in Hebrews um, 1, and it's really, I'm just going to focus on verse 8. Verse 8. And it says, But of the Son... He says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. And by the way, just as a little tangent, uh, this is such a great, if you ever wonder about the Trinity, this is such a great uh, text uh, for conveying the, uh, the triune God. And the reality of the triune God, uh, here we see clearly uh, that the Hebrew author is declaring the Son as God himself. Uh, and so the second person of the Trinity. But that's, we're not going to dwell there. We're going to talk about his kingship, his kingship. So why, you know, why did he feel it was so important to pull this uh, truth into this uh, first part of the letter, that he was the, the, the great eternal king? And uh, I mean, it's quite a profound, it's quite a bold statement on the part of the writer. And basically, in short, really, what we're, what we're being presented with is that what, what the writer is trying to convey is that Jesus Christ is the great promised Davidic king. He is the fulfillment of the great covenant promise of God that says that I will one day send you a king from the throne of David that will inherit that throne and who will reign forever and ever. In the, in the Old Testament scriptures, uh, most theolog- theologians will, will um, argue that, that there are four basic uh, uh, great covenants of God in the Scriptures, in the Old Testament Scriptures. There's the, um, the Abrahamic covenant made to, to Abraham. You'll see that in Genesis 12. And then the, uh, the Mosaic covenant uh, made to Moses and the people of, of Israel. And then the uh, Davidic covenant, which we find and we'll read about in 2 Samuel and, and elsewhere. And then finally, the new covenant, which you might read about in, um, in Jeremiah uh, and in Ezekiel. 
And, um, but today, we're going to focus on that third covenant of God. And by the way, these covenants ought not be like anything with God. You know, ought not be thought of these different bins. I mean, they're all related. You know, just like, in fact, well, when we talk about the threefold office of Christ, you can't really think of Christ as these different compartments or different segments. I mean, he's integrated. These offices kind of blend one into the other. But, but they are biblical, and we do talk about them. And so we're going to talk about his third, his third office, which is his kingship and the, the third covenant uh, given uh, by God to David. And so with that, turning to 2 Samuel 7. 2 Samuel 7. If you have your Bibles, uh, open that with me, or if you pull that up, Jason. 2 Samuel 7, starting at verse 11. And uh, actually, the second half of that, uh, 11b or so. And it says, Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Let me stop there. Let me set the stage. I failed to do that. Um, right before this, um, setting the stage for this scripture, David is, um, uh, has now been crowned uh, king of the entire kingdom of Israel, of both the northern and the southern kingdom, uh, Judah and Israel. Uh, he is now the one unified king, and the Lord has blessed uh, his kingdom with great prosperity, great peace. And David is there, you know, just living in this wonderful house of his, and he's saying, my Lord, you know, how can I live in this wonderful house and you, the Ark of the Covenant, living in a tent? And so he says, I'm going to build a house. And the Lord tells him through the, through the prophet Nathan, no, you're not going to build me the house. Uh, it's not for you. You're, you're of warrior blood. You're not going to build this house. And this is where we pick up. And so he says, moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you, David, a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Does that sound familiar? That was a scripture actually we read in, in Hebrews 1. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And here's, here's, here's the big key scripture. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Now, one thing about a lot of these prophecies, and you'll find that, and you, we find it in this scripture, is that uh, there's, there's what they call near-term and, and far-term fulfillment, okay? So there's two aspects, so, you, you know, don't get confused here. Um, there's a near-term fulfillment, and, and you'll read there, and, two, and kind of two uses of the word house, so it can get a little confusing. At the very beginning, we read, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. The Lord is not talking about a physical house at this point. He's talking about a kingdom. He's talking about a dynasty that he's giving to him. He's giving to him this enduring dynasty, enduring kingdom. He's given this to David. And then later on, then when we read, uh, and I will raise offspring after you from your own body, this is talking about the near-term fulfillment. This is Solomon who comes from his body, and he will build the house for my name. He shall build a house for my name. That is, that is a, that's the uh, near-term fulfillment, and that is talking about a physical house. So that is where Solomon is, talk, is going to be given the charge to go build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. 
And so, uh, and, and then also the, the part about iniquity, that is talking about the near-term fulfillment. He's going to, for Solomon and his descendants, the Lord will, will discipline them uh, with the stripes of, uh, stripes of the sons of men. But then, uh, what, what we, we, we certainly see here is that when he's talking about forever, this is something beyond Solomon. This is something beyond even the, the uh, successors of Solomon. He says, in your house, your dynasty, your kingdom, and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Forever. David in this scripture doesn't refer to this, this great promise of God to him through Nathan as a covenant. But we do know it is a covenant because David himself called it a covenant. At the end of his life, David, when he was parting and, and he uh, was, was saying his last words to, to the people of Israel. In 2 Samuel chapter 23 at verse 5. 2 Samuel chapter 23 at verse 5. This is what David says. For does not my house stand so with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. And we find even later, the psalmist, and this is not David, this is a later psalmist in Psalm uh, 89 at verse 3, the psalmist says, uh, and this is interesting because uh, catch this, he's going to talk about something new here. He's going to add something new. He says, you have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. See, I have made this covenant with my chosen one. That was certainly David. David was the anointed of God. But this also foreshadows the great anointed one, the great chosen one, the Christos, is, is the way it's said in Greek, the chosen one. And so time goes on. So this is the Hebrew, writing, Hebrew writer, again, conveying to his audience that this, this Jesus we're talking about, who is risen from the dead, who is supreme over all things, is king. This is the Davidic king, which has been promised by God thousands and thousands of years, thousands of years prior. And he has now come. He has now come. And what's really uh, interesting, and I'm going to share with you three uh, scriptures from the, from the later prophets. Uh, the first one being from Hosea. You know, even though... Much came against the nation of Israel and against the, the nation of, uh, or the, the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel. The prophets kept proclaiming that God was going to remain faithful to his Davidic promise. In Hosea, uh, the, the prophet uh, at, at chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Hosea chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. This was a prophet writing, um, uh, it actually was in a very prosperous time of the northern kingdom. But it was right on the cusp of the downfall of the northern kingdom. It was written around 720, right before the, the fall of, his, uh, of uh, Israel. And the prophet is writing, and, and the Assyrian kingdom is now threatening. And shortly after he, he states this, he, uh, uh, the, the, the northern kingdom falls to Assyria. And this is what Hosea writes. He says, For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. 
See, the prophet was saying there is going to be some hard times for you guys. And there's going to be a time where the, the succession of kings is actually going to end. But he's trying to tell them, you don't give up hope. See, I'm trying to tell you that you're going to one day still come back and seek that Davidic king. You're not going to give up hope. You're going to continue to anticipate. You're going to continue to expect. You're going to continue to hope for and pray for this Davidic king to come. At the same time, the prophet Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah is, in the, is in now in the southern kingdom about the same time as Hosea. And this is in Isaiah 9. It's a, uh, it's a scripture very familiar to all of us. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. We read this frequently at Christmas time. And here uh, is what the prophet says, again, a peer of Hosea, but in the southern, in the south. He says, and he's, and he's prophesying uh, about this same Davidic king. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and his kingdom, over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. See, Isaiah now is giving his pe the people even more insight into what this Davidic promise is all about. He's revealing that there's this human being born, and he's God. And he is from the throne of David. He, a son is given. He's mighty God. And that this, that this reign of his is not going to be limited to Israel. This reign of his extends to all places. The extent of his government will not end. And not only will it not end, it will be a righteous government. It will be a good government. It will be at peace. It will be a peaceful kingdom. This Davidic king is going to be, bring peace and righteousness. This is the hope of Israel. This is what the Hebrew writer was trying to communicate to his audience you guys get it? This is the king. This is the great king of promise. In the book of Daniel, one last prophecy I'll give with you. The book of Daniel, uh, Daniel the prophet, was what we call uh, one of the exilic prophets. He was uh, a prophet. He was actually born in Babylon. This was after, there was no kings left over. There were no more kings uh, at this time. The northern kingdom fell to Assyria, the southern king fell to Babylon, and they were exiled. And now they're in exile. And this is the prophet Daniel talking. He's saying he's not, they're not giving up hope. They're not losing the sight of God's promise, of his covenant promise to his people. They're holding on to God's covenant promise. In the, in the midst of terrible trial and tribulation, all their peoples were, they were, people were decimated and killed and tortured. The, the, the whole land, all of their building, the temple was, was torn to the ground. And now they are exiled and they are subjugated to the Babylonian emperor. And here's Daniel. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. 
See, now the prophet is, is reminding them not to remember that our God, our Yahweh God, is a covenant-keeping God. Remember that promise He made to us thousands or hundreds of years ago. Don't forget it. Don't forget that our God is faithful. Don't forget that. And now he's saying not only will his government extend, as you know, the prophet Isaiah said, his government will extend, it will have no end. But here now he's saying it's not just the Hebrew people again. He's saying it will be all people. It will be all nations. All languages will be part of his great realm. His realm will have no limit. All people who are called by his name, that, that love him and serve him, will call, come to be uh, 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 people in his kingdom. So now, last scripture that I'm going to uh, share with you comes from uh, the Gospel of Luke. A thousand years have passed since Nathan spoke to David. 700 years have passed since the Lord gave the word to Isaiah and to Hosea. 500 years have passed since the Lord gave the word to Daniel. The Lord has not raised up a prophet in those 500 years. It's been silent. The people have been crying out, Have you forsaken us, O Lord? Have you forgotten us, O Lord? We are subjugated now under Roman rulers. Are you not a promise-keeping God? Do you not keep your promises? So at Luke 1, verses 30 through 33, we find, an angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. This, <laughs> this was the great hope of Israel. This is what they anticipated. This is what they expected. This is what they were, remind, were reminded of by the prophets as they were casting their eyes down, as they were torn down and beaten down and killed and, and sub, subjugated under these, these foreign rulers. And they wondered, where was God? God came back and told them, I am a faithful God. This is what Hebrew, the Hebrew author was trying to communicate to his Hebrew audience. That, and right now in the Christian church, they were starting to be persecuted. And they were wondering what's happening here. And, God, and this Hebrew writer is trying to remind them, our God is faithful. He's a covenant-keeping God. Remember this story, these stories of the Davidic king? They have now been fulfilled in this Jesus Christ that I am proclaiming to you this day. This is what was behind that short little verse in the Hebrew Scripture. So we now, turning to how we take this, you know, our history, Americans, all of us, we threw off the king. We, don't like, we didn't like kings here in America. 
You know, we equate them with authoritarian rulers, autocratic rulers. So how do we relate? What, what, what does this mean to us in 21st century Christian church? I'm going to offer you three things. As king, Jesus our Lord, we have to be reminded that he is the creator God. He's the agent of creation. He is the ruler of creation. He is the one who orders creation. He's the one who sets the laws up that, that govern all of that, that, that occurs in our, in our world, in our galaxy, in our planet, in our universe. You know, all those, for those physicists amongst us, you know, the gravitational uh, co- constants, the cosmological constants, the, the weak and strong forces of, of the molecular forces, all these things, the things that hold our bodies together, the proteins that hold our bodies together so that we're not just a bunch of goop on the floor, all those things, our Lord holds together. He's the one who orders all that. He's the one that gives you breath. He, he allows your body to involuntarily breathe in and out and your heart to beat day by day, moment by moment for eight, 70, 80, 100 years on with, they, with you not even having to think about it. This is what our ruler, king, does for us. He governs the world, the universe, And so when we're confronted with things in this world like the coronavirus or we're confronted with all the political strife that we might see in our current discourse in, in, in this nation or we see you know, financial instability that worries us about you know, what, what's going to happen to us in the future, we can rest upon the fact that we serve a creator God, a king who rules over this universe and there is nothing that will shake him. There is nothing that surprises him. So let's lift our eyes to heaven. Let's look at our king. Let's think and dwell about our king who is great, who made all, who holds all things together. In, his, in, in Hebrews, we read about it. Through him also he created the world and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. In Colossians, we also read that he is before all things, and in him hold, he holds all things together. So let us not worry, friends, about what tomorrow will bring. For our God is king. Our God is king. As king, as ruler, he also is a warrior God. He's a God that does battle for us. He has come to do battle for us, to set His people free. To set His people free. He cares for us. He defends us. I'm reminded, I was, as I was preparing this scripture, I was thinking about valiant men. You know, these days and times, you know, the president is commander-in-chief and he doesn't typically go, you know, in our society, go forth and fight with with the warriors, but in times past, the king did. The king would go and fight with his men. And I'm reminded of, of, those, of those stories of valiant warriors that have died on the battlefield who, who, when they see a grenade, they've thrown their body on that grenade in order to save their comrades. 
their friends. This is what our warrior king did for us. He threw his body on the cross so that we might live. All who call on the name of the Lord will live. He also fights for us through His Holy Spirit day by day to fight against, against temptation from our flesh, against accusations of the enemy and the schemes of the enemy. He fights for us. So we should not be shaken there again. We should know that our God is with us. We talked about this a few weeks ago where, you know, we ought to know that in the, in the storms of our lives, as we feel like we're drowning, as we feel like the, the, the things in our life are, are overwhelming us, and, we, and we're inclined to despair and to, and to be cast down, that we know and we're reminded that it is our Lord with His strong right hand that pulls us out of the depths of the water and saves us and fights for us. This is our King. This is our King. And lastly, as king, as our great, great king, he will. It is not yet done. You know, I always have this image that the, the stage where we're at is, is like that, that, that point where, where all of our troops, all of our armed forces has, have, have, have now made be, the beachhead at Normandy and now have, have, have taken, retaken France. The battle still rages, but the victory is assured. This is where we're at. The battle goes on, but our Lord is victorious. His victory will happen. There is no denying it. And so he will bring to conclusion all things. All enemies will be defeated once and for all and be brought under his feet. And so again, we have to remember, just like the Hebrew people did during all those years of difficulty, Starvation, war, death, sickness. And they were reminded to cast their eyes. For where does their help come from? Their help comes from the Lord. And so it is with us. I know many of your stories. We all have stories. We have difficult times, struggles. But let's this week, day by day, remember the Lord says, give us our daily bread. Let's do it one day at a time. And let's meditate on the fact that our Lord Jesus is the promised Davidic king. He's the king that orders all of your life. He's the very king that gives you breath day in and day out. He is the king that fought for you and purchased you. He's the, God, he's the king that defends you. And ultimately, he is the king that is going to bring you into his kingdom and into his presence where you could live with him, loving him and be loved by him forever and ever. This is your destiny. All people in Christ Jesus, this is the king we serve. This is our destiny. This is our hope. Will you hope with me like the Hebrew people did? Will you anticipate with me like the people did in, in Israel? Will you expect that our God is a faithful God 
He's a promise-keeping God. He's a covenant-keeping God. This is our King. Let us not cast down. Let us look, cast our eyes up, and fix our eyes on Jesus, our King. I'll close with this. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits. Then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death.